Hello, everyone, and welcome back to episode two of our Mastery Performance Podcast. We are joined with the same people as last time, Ashley, the lead consultant and also co-founder, and Maddie, one of our consultants. Today, we are going to be going over Maddie's story about how she got into not only sports psychology, but also got intermingled with us at Mastery. So, um, Maddie... Let's start off with, um, when did you hear about sports psychology? Because for Ashley, last time, it was kind of during college. She took that one class and was like, oh, wow, this is it, right? I missed out on this, and and I, I need to know more about this. When, when did that happen for you? So I knew I wanted to do something specifically with athletes, and like, because I guess I'll backtrack just a little bit. In high school, I struggled with like my own mental health and I went to counseling and I was talking with different people about like the life stresses I was going through and just things that were happening. And what they didn't understand was how big of an impact sports were on my life. And so it was really hard to have conversations with them about it because at that time, like sports were my life. I was in two different ones. I was constant, like a year round athlete, just going, going, going all the time. And it's stressful. Like it gets very stressful if you've been doing that for a long time. And the counselors and the therapists were like, well, it's just a game. Why don't you take a step back? And that like, it was really incredibly hard for me to find help from the counselors and therapists who were talking to me like that. So from then I knew I was like, I'm, I have to do something with athletes. That shouldn't be a thing. There's no reason that like athletes shouldn't have an outlet or help where people can actually relate to them on the fact that sports are your life. For some people, like professional athletes, it's their livelihood. It's the way that they make an income. And then for other people, it's them getting into college. That was my like biggest thing. I knew I was going to go to college, but I mean, I wanted to go and play sports. And so having that scholarship on top of like continuing my sports for as long as I could, like that was my ticket in from high school. I knew I have to help athletes somehow, but I had no idea about sports psychology. So I went into my freshman year of college and I was a bio pre-med major because I was like, I I have no idea. So for the first two years I was in biology taking classes because I loved science. I was doing fine with them. Um, And then we had to take like extra classes on top of our major classes. And I had taken a class with one of my professors. He was one of my other elective professors for another psychology class. And I really liked him. And he was really active in athletics. And I saw him around all the time. So I was like, you know, I'll just keep taking his classes. I really like them. And so my sophomore year, we were just kind of going through like the different types of psychology. And that's when I first heard about sports psychology. And I was like, wow, that is literally hitting the nail right on the head. But our school that I went to didn't have a sports psychology program. So I was like, whatever, I have to switch to psychology regardless. If that's what I'm going to do, I got to switch. So I switched my major and then just kind of fully immersed myself in everything. So I started reading up on it, um, got fully immersed into sports psychology. I started doing my own research and I took another class by the same professor on, it was an intro to sports psychology class. And I just truly loved every single second of it. It It's like my one class that I actually truly enjoyed going to and just hoped wouldn't end. So I changed my major and I really tried to stick with sports psychology as much as I could. I even did my, um, so I was in the honors program and we had to do a senior seminar and I did mine on athlete burnout. So mm. I really like, it didn't end to that class. It was, it was constant. I, I was reading books. I was listening to podcasts. I was listening to Ted talks. I still have them on my phone, actually like Ted talks from sports psychology professionals and everything. And just truly, truly ran with it. And I think like, the thing that really kind of got me into it the most was the fact that like I I needed help myself through college and so I was like I can't find the proper outlet right now so I'm gonna I'm gonna help myself as much as I can so it was kind of a 
this is what I want to do on top of this is what I need in this moment. So I, again, I had no idea where to go with sports psychology. I was like, I just learned about this. I just found out about this. Like, I don't know what the top programs are. I don't know where to go. So I literally Googled top sports psychology graduate programs in the U S and I think Mankato was like number four or five. And I was like, wow, affordable. I love Minnesota. And the biggest kicker I know we talked about in the first one was it had applied work and it was accepting more than like four people for a cohort. So I was like, check, check, check. Like I'm going to, I'm going to really try for that one, put in an application and like about a month and a half, two months after I put in the application, I got a call from, um, the head professor at Mankato and we did kind of a phone interview and I found out that I was the 15th out of 15 people in the cohort. And it was just, yeah, a huge weight lifted off my chest, but also like, okay, I'm doing this now. Like it, there's no going back. This is it. I'm, I'm in it now. So went two years through grad school and got 350 of my 400 hours that I needed. So um, still continuing to work and do the process before I can become certified so I can really get my feet in immersed in the whole sports psychology world. Well, that's awesome. So let's go back to college for a second really quick. Did you ever find a resource that was willing to work with you or able to work with you uh, on the sports. So once you found out about it, I'm assuming this was pretty early, especially if you had time to switch majors. So did you find somebody that could help you or talk, talk you through things? Yeah. So the professor that I was talking about, he was actually getting his PhD in sports psychology at the time. So like him teaching us and talking with us, he gave us uh, sessions. We did group sessions with him. Mental skills, I think is just what he called it. And so I like appreciated going to those and I took them to heart whenever we did them. And so I like started talking with him just a little bit more because he was like trying to get the hours and he was trying to do the work for himself. So I tried to talk with him as much as I could. Um, just kind of like, it wasn't like professional, like I wasn't spilling everything in my heart, but it was like trying to get a little bit of help from there. Um, but I mean, he was a busy, busy man. So I didn't get to talk to him nearly as much as I would have liked to, but definitely spoke with him whenever I could. Cool. Did it help? I thought so, but it was like, again, they were like short spurts because we'd, I'd see him in like our athletics building and I'd chat with him for like 10, 15 minutes. So I guess like those quick brief intervention. Thank you. I could not, those words weren't coming to my mind, but yeah, brief interventions, um, here and there. And it would have been a lot, lot, lot more beneficial if I was able to actually sit down with him for 30 minutes, 45 minutes at a time and really just like talk like about personal things going on. But um, I didn't get that opportunity. So yeah. Can I ask two questions? Mm -hmm. So the first one what is about like the program you chose, like you said, it had applied work and that was something that you were looking for in a program. Mm -hmm. How did you know that you needed that? Cause my point is, is when I was help in my story, I told you that a mm -hmm. professor of mine basically was like, asked me the right question. She's like, what do you want to do? Mm -hmm. What do you want your career to look like? And she's like, go here. Mm -hmm. How did you know that you wanted to go to an applied work focused program because I feel like some people don't know that there's like different programs out there. Some have more applied work and some don't. So like, how did you know? So I kind of like found out what applied work was by default. Um, so when I was going through like the schools on that list of like the top 50 programs in the U.S., um, I went to each website and was just looking through like what they have to offer. And I noticed that applied work was few and far between. And as I did not know what that meant at the time, I was just like, okay, applied work. And then I went on Mankato's website and it talked about like hands-on learning. That's the only way I learn, honestly, like I can read from a book and I can like take tests and everything and like understand things that way. But for me to truly like be able to teach and to help and to like get the most out of it, I have to do hands-on. I have to be right in front of it. I have to be working through it. And so I've 
found out that that's essentially what applied work is. And I was like, that's what I need. And Mankato was like the only one that offered that. So I was like, oh, okay. Like they do hands-on learning. That's fantastic. So that's honestly why I chose it. Not knowing that I actually needed applied work, like for hours for certification. So it's kind of by default that I found out about applied work. Um, but yeah, it was just the type of learner that I was is kind of what got me there. Yeah. I mean, I didn't even know there was a certification until grad school. Right. Same. Mm-hmm. So I was like, thank goodness. Like my professor yes. was like, go here. Cause mm-hmm. you know, we both know people who have been to other programs that have less applied work and it's not that they're bad mm-hmm. programs. It's just, mm-hmm. they went in wanting more hands-on experience and realizing, mm-hmm. okay, there's a certification where I need 400 hours. How mm-hmm. am I supposed to get those hours in a program that doesn't provide it for me. And that usually happens right. post-graduation. And now that this certification is becoming more and more well-known in the field, mm-hmm. a lot of people I talk to basically say that that's a huge barrier for them getting a job. Mm-hmm. Because what the certification is, is essentially like a check mark saying, hey, like, I've worked with people. Like I know mm-hmm. I know how to do the work versus just having the degree. Right. 400 hours is a lot. That is a lot of time. And it's not even just like um, working one-on-one. It is, it's like the preparation. It's getting supervised. It's talking with a mentor. It's having somebody look over your work and make sure everything's like being done ethically correct. And just like as much of a benefit for your athlete as possible. It's just like 400 hours of you putting in that work so that athletes have that outlet that I didn't have that you didn't have that some people don't have in this moment. It's definitely like, it is a daunting certification. If you, if I'm going to be completely honest, I didn't think I was going to get it. Somebody told me you don't need it to find a job. So I was like, I don't need it to find a job. But now I'm like, it's just, it's just that extra level. I have one more question though. Um, Cause yeah. I said it too. My next one, I think this could be helpful for people who are like, okay, well, what, what do the athletes need? What service do they need? You said that this consultant worked with group work with you guys, but you wish mm-hmm. you had that one-on-one attention. As yeah. an athlete who like sort of had a resource available, because I, I didn't have it at all. Like I'd never worked mm-hmm. with a consultant myself. You you had a taste of it as an athlete. Mm-hmm. What is like an ideal type of work to receive? Like group work, individual work, mm-hmm. a little bit of both. Like what what do you think from an athlete perspective? I do think um, a little bit of both is definitely beneficial because I loved our group sessions and some people didn't. Some people thought they were tedious and boring, but I thought they were very insightful and very like fun because we were, he did a lot of activities. There's always an activity in there, some like mind games that we had to do. So it was like, I thought it was fun. I got a lot out of it and we were able to talk as a team together and like work through stuff together. So I thought that was huge on like a team perspective. Um, And then individually, I wanted to dive more into things because like he got it with the group sessions. It's like talked about motivation, talked about confidence, talked about all this stuff that I was lacking, but it was kind of on like a um, a broad uh, realm. So it wasn't as personalized. So it's like I understood it and I found out about it, but I wanted to dive deeper into it so I could help out myself. So like I knew about it. And I got a taste of it with the group sessions, but I just wanted that much more. When I struggled in college, I like, I knew the stuff, like I took notes, I had the worksheets and everything that he gave us, but I like didn't know where to go. So I was looking up like motivational YouTube videos and I found out like, that's not the way that I work. Like I don't, I'd listen to them and I'd watch them and I'd be like, okay, <laughs> like next, like what? So I just wanted, I just wanted something a little bit more personalized and catered to me so I could like benefit a little bit more group issues are going to be a little different anyway you know you're going to deal with more like interpersonal types of things like your teammates maybe you know Mm -hmm. kind of depends on um your team but you know very rarely are you going to get everybody feeling pressure all at the same time unless you know you're competing for like a really strong team or Mm -hmm. you're on one of these always doing well places and such so Mm -hmm. right Right. Um, Let's take it back a little farther because, you know, you entered college 
kind mm-hmm. of needing this? What did did it start in college when you were like, I need this now? Uh, my mentality got worse after high school. Was it in high school? What sport did you play? When when did Maddie go? Yep, I need this. This is what this is what I need to do, and it's for this sport. Sure. So it started my senior year of high school and like goes into college. So um, my senior year, we had just won state for softball my junior year. So the previous year, and I was a starter. All the starters returned minus like maybe two or three seniors that graduated, but like our team came back. So we had like a good team from the get go. And I like went in with a mindset like, I have to be really, really good this year. I have to be my absolute best. And I wasn't committed to any school yet. I'd gotten some looks from the state tournament and everything, but like I hadn't really found the school that I wanted to go to. So I was like, I need to get recruited. I need to go to college. Like I got to do something. And so I just put so much pressure on myself. And that's also my senior year is the year that I quit basketball. that's a whole other <laughs> basketball was a whole other beast in high school. We were very, very good, but our team, like, well, I think like eight of our nine seniors quit after our junior year. So it's just, uh, wow. just a mess. Yeah. Oh yeah. Dumpster fire. <laughs> what but, happened? Um, was it a coaching thing or like, was it, what was it? It was, it was partially a coaching thing for me. It was, I fell out of love with the sport. I knew I wasn't going to go and play in, college I was a five four buck ten soaking wet I wasn't going to play basketball in college (laughs) Uh, makes sense and all of us played other sports so it wasn't like basketball was number one collectively we all quit but we all made our own decisions to quit it wasn't like we're gonna do it as a group it was just like uh you're not playing uh me either kind of one of those things (laughs) But yeah, so I like wasn't a year-round athlete anymore. So I was like, shoot, I have all this time, so much free time that I can just put into softball. So I was softball night and day from summer of my junior year going into my senior year. I went to lessons two times a week for a half hour, um, was playing as much as I could, going and hitting with my dad as much as I could. So I was just like doing the absolute most. I was working out as much as I could because I was like I have to be the fastest and I have to be the strongest and it got to a point where like our season came around in the spring and I was exhausted and I couldn't tell you why I was like I am just I am so freaking tired I was like this is my senior year this is the best year yet I should be so like happy so looking forward to this but I was just not in the right mindset I had exhausted myself just from doing the most. I was trying to do almost too much instead of just what I needed. And the too much kind of set me back, honestly, like I, like I said, I was just exhausted. And so my senior year of high school was probably my worst year I've ever had. And I couldn't tell you why, because I was like, I'm hitting every single day. I'm going out and I'm taking extra fly balls every single day. Like I'm doing the most, like, why am I not performing? And so that's like I told you guys when I started going and like talking to counselors and like everybody about what was going on. And they're just like, well, just just relax. Just take a step back. It's it's ju- it's just a game. It's just a sport. And I, I don't I think that like. Threw me through a loop even further, because I was just like, these people have no idea what they're talking about. Can't even relate to them. Softball is my life because it was like I was night and day softball like every single day Mm -hmm. and i found people who couldn't relate to that like i remember talking to my mom after i went and talked to them and god bless my mom i love her i said i wanted to go to a school where softball Mm. wasn't the biggest thing because i didn't want it to be my entire life and my mom was like are you gonna play a sport in college i said yeah i would like to she's like is it gonna be softball i'm like yeah, she's like, it will be your entire life. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, okay, yeah, you're right. And I mean, that, that was kind of a like, a, not a slap in the face, but kind of like a wake up moment. Like, it wasn't like, a, it wasn't a slap in the face. It was more of like a wake up moment. Like, if I'm going to play this in college, like it is going to be, my life is going to revolve around it. And it did. I needed that, honestly, because my class schedule got shifted around it. My work schedule got shifted around it. Like, 
it was, it was a center of everything. It was the middle of everything that I was doing. My social life went around it. Like it, it was my life. And so I wasn't, I wasn't shocked going into college because I realized like early on, cause I had siblings that played in college too, that like, it is, it is your life for four years. It kind of like runs everything. Like can't go to all the holidays cause you might have games. Can't mm-hmm. go see your friends at other schools because you all have practice. Like it's just, and that's what I signed up for. Like I knew what I was getting myself into. So Maddie, like it's your life, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're in this identity like you're in high school mm-hmm. and you're moving into college you had a rough senior year let's take let, let's play the witcher really quick and let's go in the future for mm-hmm. a second you're maddie now looking at maddie then mm-hmm. instead of get over it what would you say to your previous self now at least one thing right now that you would say if you came in with the issues you were, you were experiencing in high school yeah um so if somebody came in with the issues that i was having i would literally tell them what my classmate had told me that like too much is not always better like you can do you need to do what your body needs and so that's food that is sleeping and that is water and then exercise whenever you're feeling good about it and i did not listen to any three of those things. I think I would make a schedule. I would help them make a schedule. And then I would definitely talk about goals. Like, cause I was just, I was just lifting and not sleeping is what I was doing and working and hitting and just trying to get the most out of the 24 hours in a day that I had to get better. And I didn't have a goal set. Like, what was I getting better for? What was I really trying to do? I didn't know. I didn't have a set I didn't have a set goal like to be the best and that can be a goal but it's like a little bit more specific like what do I want to be the best at do I want to be do I want to have the fastest time to first do I want to steal the most bases like I didn't have goals set so I was overworking my body and I didn't even know why so thinking about like a schedule and then definitely talking about goals and uh diving into a little bit more of self-talk about like working and stuff because it was never and this kind of like is a hint at what goes through all my college years too is like i never talked nice to myself ever because i wasn't the raw raw motivational type person that's completely fine like not everybody is what i thought i needed was like negative thoughts to help me and that also wasn't the case because i was thinking if it's not positive it has to be negative that's what has to get me going and that's not the case at all either so Definitely goal setting and like self-talk is where I would start. Start. Yeah. 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 Let's go back. Let's go back to that best really quick. Cause Ashley chimed in there for a half a second and was like, what does that even mean? And so Ash, I'm, I'm assuming you have some thoughts mm-hmm. coming from a professional in the field, viewing another, another athlete, you know, what, what were you seeing? Yeah. Just from the, from what you've been saying so far. My experience with a lot of athletes is that they say that I want to be the best. Mm -hmm. And I ask them, what does that mean? And that's a hard question for them. And Mm -hmm. usually it involves comparing themselves to like somebody else sometimes. Sometimes they compare themselves to themselves, but sometimes it's like, well, I need to be a starter. I need to have the highest stats. I need to be coach's favorite. Like, whatever that means, or I need to be recruited to a D1 school, that means I'm the best, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Which is all doable goals. But like Maddie said, she needed like a focus. Like, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. I would also add in there with goals, helping somebody figure out like what their strengths are. Because sometimes what I see athletes do is they try to be everything, like every Mm -hmm. position, like I'm thinking team sports, like Mm -hmm. uh, they want to be the best like for softball, best pitcher, best hitter, mm-hmm. like best everything. With other sports, like let's say hockey, they want to be like the top scorer, the number one assists, the most aggressive on defense. Like it's like you can't be everything. It's great to mm-hmm. strive for like being an amazing overall athlete. Like I think that's a good thing. But I think then that takes the focus away of like, well, what do you bring to the table? Because if what if somebody else is a high scorer? 
that doesn't mean you didn't do well. They just had more runs than you, but mm-hmm. you probably still bat really well, right? Like, mm-hmm. so I think it needs to be more about like, well, why are you an amazing hitter? Not do you have the highest stats? Mm-hmm. So that's what I would help if I were working with someone like Maddie. I would just try to help her figure out like, okay, this is what we want to achieve, but what are you already good at? Because like she said, her self-talk wasn't maybe the greatest. Um, (laughs) And it doesn't need to be motivational. Like you are amazing, but it's like, what are you amazing at? Like why why are you a starter on a state winning team? Like there was Mm -hmm. a reason that you were at that level. What is it? Very, yeah, that's very true. And like, I was thinking about that earlier today where I was just like, you know, this can sound like a lot of hoopla, right? It can sound like a lot of like, oh, fairy tales and and mm-hmm. and happiness and, and all this stuff. But there is actual science to this. There is actual mm-hmm. like implementation of this. This isn't just us getting on here and saying you can feel better. It That helps. If you feel good, you know, you're going to generally play better. But there's mm-hmm. more to it. You have issues. You have things that you're thinking about sometimes during, sometimes after, sometimes, like, Maddie, the first thing that I thought about with Maddie, and I'm not even a psychologist, is rest. Like, mm-hmm. she didn't rest enough. She was she was out there just constantly working her body, and, you know, mental rest is just as important as her physical rest. It, it makes her more game ready. Mm-hmm. So, in my opinion, Maddie was more prone to being injured. So, mm-hmm. there's a lot, there's a lot of, like, different, you know, areas of focus that each one of us pulled away from from her just that one story and it could have been any of them the benefit of having someone like you two Mm -hmm. is is that that you can ask pointed questions to get to the root of what it could have been or what was going on under the surface you know um and i i want people to know that it's not just this woohoo, like we're out here kumbaya, like holding hands and singing songs. Mm-hmm. It, it, this is real. Like th- these issues happen to a lot of people and you're not alone when you're dealing with some of these things. You know, we all have gone through something. We've all gone through times where we weren't confident mm-hmm. and that's just part of it. So yeah. Right. And to, um, to add to like um, the piece where Maddie was saying that like her, her counselor wasn't the best fit for her at the time it's not that counselors aren't useful it's just they weren't useful for what Mm -hmm. maddie wanted think about like doctors you have like general surgery you have like primary care physicians that kind of know a general little bit of everything and then if there's something that's like beyond them or just something a little bit more niche and specific they refer them to that doctor an orthopedic surgeon a dermatologist an obgyn you know like you 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 got to go to the right doctor for whatever mm-hmm. you're experiencing and that's the same thing with psychology not all psychology is the same and right. even look at the like you said the three of us like even though Maddie and I have the same degree and the same qualifications like someone might gravitate to Maddie more than they gravitate to me and vice versa so it's it's just about finding the right fit and mm-hmm. for those of the people out there that struggle to figure out who you need it's okay to shop around in one Mm. field right like it's okay to figure out like what do you what do I need who's the right fit Mm -hmm. for me Maddie what were you gonna say of course no I was gonna um yes I completely agree with what Ashley's saying about that like you you can find who you need like if there's no hard feelings about it because like you know what you need and some some people are different like what Ashley was just talking about um and to kind of like combine both uh Zach and Ashley I was thinking that like part of the reason I got into it too was like I'm not I'm not a motivational person in the sense that like I need somebody to constantly be motivating me I had motivation I just needed something different and so like that's the other thing with sports psychology is like there's so many different like theories, I guess, that people dive into. Like, I'm very much acceptance-based over um, CBT. I still use CBT, but I definitely think that, like, acceptance-based helped me, and acceptance-based is kind of where I, like, 
is what I use because that's just what I found to be helpful. And that's fine if athletes don't find that beneficial. That's perfectly okay because then they can go to somebody else who does use CBT heavily or the humanistic approach. You know, like there's so many different people out there to really like cater to you, to the athlete, to get what you need most out of it. Um, And so I think that's just kind of like what we are trying to really put out there too is like resources are out there and it's not – sports psychology is not just the, like what Zach was saying, the rainbows and butterflies, and it's all going to be okay. It's like, no, sports are hard. Sports suck sometimes, <laughs> but you know, like you're really good at them. So let's, let's help you be even better, like on yep. both ends. Cause it's not just physical. It's, it's mental as well. Like I heard it was, <laughs> it was an ad for, um, on one of my podcasts I was listening to, it was like, if you had to have the same car for the rest of your life and you could never change it, you wouldn't like beat it up. You would take the best care of it. And so that's, that's your brain. That's your mind. And that's your body. Like you have the same one for the rest of your life. Like you can't beat it up. You have lapses and you need an oil change every once in a while, but it's like there's resources to help you to be the best, to have the best car and like to, get you to where you need to go you know maddie just for and both you know both of you can answer this too but just for viewers that are curious like you were talking about a bunch of different theories in terms of how um you know you're you're the humanistic the cbt different ways Mm -hmm. that uh people can give care uh can you talk about each one of those and what the differences are what you might expect and like it could help somebody come into a session saying i relate well with this way or this approach mm-hmm. um do you guys have anyone on staff that would be able to to do that so do you guys mm-hmm. want to kind of talk about each one sure. sure um so i'll do acceptance based so essentially what that one is is like accepting things that have happened but also like allowing yourself to move on so um i related to this one a lot because softball is like it is a game of failure and the winner of the game is the team that failed the least. And so to expect a game with no errors or no failures is like, it's almost impossible. Every time somebody gets a hit, the pitcher failed to get that out. You know, like mm-hmm. every time that the batter gets out, they failed to get on base, to win, to do something. So it's just a, it's a constant game of failure. And so to constantly be thinking like, oh my gosh, I struck out, I'm the worst, like I'm terrible, and like kind of dwelling on failures, it's just going to keep bringing you down more and more. So it's definitely like a quick switch that's like, okay, that happened, but now what? So acceptance space is very like, it happened, now what am I going to do to move on? So in, in life even, like I didn't get that job instead of sitting and being like, oh my gosh, I'm the worst. Like, I'm never going to find my dream job. It's like accepting the fact that you didn't get that job. You didn't get that second interview or whatnot, but then setting forth a plan for yourself, like contingency planning essentially is what I would relate a lot to acceptance based. If you need motivation, we'll talk about motivation. If you need confidence, we'll talk about confidence and like where to go from here. So it's just kind of like seeing what happened, accepting it, but then also taking the steps to move on from it, to set many goals for yourself to continue to move forward to like what you really want to get to. You get a flat tire on this bumpy road, like you're going to have to change it and you're going to keep going. So it's just like, how can we better react or um, respond? Yes, respond. Thank you. How can we better respond to bumps and failures and things that happen? And then it's all, it's not always just negative, but it's like, even really really good things it's like okay that happened it's not always negative it's just like it's giving yourself kind of a plan and just tools to continue going for when really really highs happen and also really really lows so like just kind of briefly like if uh what what language what would you expect in a session to hear as a as an athlete or as an uh, performing artist you know Mm -hmm. when you go into somebody that uses that style what are some things that they might say as a as a consultant to like start mm-hmm. things off? Definitely um, goals, goal setting, um, and contingency planning, or like flexibility, because not everything like goes 
exactly how you plan. You can't predict literally everything. So it's just, again, getting to that mm. acceptance phase where it's like, it's just being flexible and being able to um, take in those things that happen. Cause it's really easy to shut down when really bad things happen. I would say a lot of that type of language okay. or acceptance based. Okay. And then Ash, I know you mostly deal in the realm of CBT. So uh, yeah. give me the, give me the rundown on that and what we can expect. Yeah. So CBT stands for cognitive behavioral therapy. Basically what this means is that like your thoughts impact your emotions, which impact your behavior. So hmm. the root of everything is like thoughts. So I always go to like thoughts, emotions, behaviors. I also throw in focus, like what are you paying attention to? But essentially, when I work with athletes, I always, and performing artists, I always start with thoughts. Always, always, always. Because I need to know what's going through their mind when they're performing at their best, at their worst, when certain things happen. Because that tells you a lot about how they respond to things. I will ask them, like, what are, what are helpful thoughts and hurtful thoughts? So if they tell me a thought, it's not just is it positive or negative. It's did that help you or hurt you in that moment? Because I have some athletes who are like, who say, stupid, why would you just do that? And, like, it motivates them. And for That's some, <laughs> right, I don't know why I say that to myself. Like, it just makes me more mad at myself. So it's not mm-hmm. about positive or negative. It's helpful versus hurtful. Mm-hmm. And so... Mm-hmm. The question you asked Maddie of like, what language would you see when I'm working with them? It would just be a lot of, they tell me something happened. I will ask them like, what were they thinking? What were they feeling? And based on those two things, what was the outcome? Hmm. So if they were thinking something hurtful and they were feeling something that uh, is a negative emotion that they have during their performance... Did that lead to good performance or not good performance, right? Sure. And so I think it helps athletes. I, I think they like that visually because it's like, okay, if I control these two things, my thoughts and my emotions, the performance will be what I want it to be. So that's where I begin. I obviously do goal setting and contingency planning too um, because I think those are very valuable tools, but like that's where I begin. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then if either one of you want to take the humanistic type of approach or if uh, kind of explain as best you can um, what that would entail. Yeah, it's been a, a while, but a humanistic, <laughs> a human, humanistic approach is essentially you treat the human as a human being. You look at the person kind of like um, what Maddie's counselor did where they looked at somebody and was like, well, what's the whole piece of the pie? What, like, what else is going on? And so they might look into like what's going on in other areas of life, not necessarily going outside of their scope per se, but um, like talking about like your days and and moods and those types of things are getting Mm -hmm. brought in to your sport or into your play and how they're affecting you. And caught maybe even causing some of the things that you guys are working with. That's kind of what you're saying. Yeah, and like, it, it's not just about like how how good of a performer you are. Like, there's other things mm-hmm. going on. Like, you're a human being, not just this like robot that's supposed to like score baskets or goals. You know, mm-hmm. um, which I think again has value to it. Like, there's times I talk to my athletes about non-performance things because like something happened and that impacted mm-hmm. their performance. So. Just because our approach doesn't mean that we don't do these other things that the other approaches do. Our approach is essentially just like what guides us. So like one of maybe potentially Maddie's first session would be like goal setting. Mine would be like thoughts. Like Mm -hmm. it's just where we begin. And I think the best consultants are ones that understand that like that there's value to the different approaches. And you just have to like find people who have those other approaches to make sure you're doing the best you can for that Mm -hmm. client. Yeah. Maddie, anything to add? No, I think Ashley really, really nailed it there. Like with humanistic and just like everything in total, like she said, like a consultant really isn't just 
humanistic. They aren't just CBT. They're definitely a mix of everything. But I mean, like how you guys even just like broke down the issues that I was going through. Like Ashley looked at it from a CBT standpoint, like Zach, you looked at it more of a humanistic approach. And I looked at it acceptance space. Like we're all three here and noticing issues and like, that's just kind of how it works in the mm. sports psychology professional's mind is like, they're all, all of these things and they all need to be attacked from like different angles, but it's like, you'll use different, different, um, theories and types, um, while you're consulting. So it's not just one or the other. It's definitely like a good blend of, of all of them based on what that athlete needs. Yeah. And then sure. exactly that last part is kind of the, the thing that I think Ashley is trying to hit home as well is that mm-hmm. you come in, uh, you may relate to something as an athlete or a person, kind of how you did, uh, mm-hmm. Maddie, with yours, you liked one aspect versus the other. But at the, at the end of the day, most of the consultants that you come across should be trained at least uh, yeah. to talk about the things that you're that you're experiencing or going through. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and it all is kind of dependent on that. Mm-hmm. So Maddie, we're still uh, into the the hard part. So now we had like the kind of like the spring time of your yeah. career. You had like this fantastic junior year. Mm-hmm. It's starting to go a little bit downhill. We're entering maybe a fall season, but do we get into like winter or are we going going somewhere a little more, uh, better? So, so uh, what's going on there? Yeah, so we get into spring. That's when our season was. And worst season I've ever competed in and I was like very upset with myself but also weirdly fine because I was committed I was going to play in college like I didn't really have a whole lot of pressure and then we lost we ended our season that year losing to a team that we definitely should have beat and it was like and we didn't go to state like we didn't even get into playoffs and so it's kind of like a oh my gosh what just happened to us but then it was over and we graduated and then we all went to school it all happened like so fast because graduation was the same day that we lost. So it was just like, oh my gosh, we lost. Oof. Let's go graduate. So it was like, it was just the strangest like 24 hours in that day. Um, but it was like my acceptance from like high school was very quick because I was very excited for college. I was ready to go and play um, in college and be at that collegiate level because I truly did not think that I would get to that level. I did not think that I was good enough. And I think that's also what stemmed with a lot of my issues is I never thought I was good enough um, to play in college, to play with the people I was playing with um, and all of that. So I got told by an upperclassman before our season even started, I got told by an upperclassman, like, just so you know, you're a freshman, do not expect to play. She's like, it goes by rank and it goes by age just don't expect playing time. And so I'm walking and I'm just like, this happy-go-lucky freshman, like, okay, sounds good. <laughs> like, I'm going to go practice. I'm going to do whatever I can, but I won't expect to play. And then, like, our we have a short fall season in college, and then our real season is up in the spring. So, like, in fall, everybody gets to play, so I didn't really take anything to heart. Like, got in a couple of games, didn't play a couple of games. Like, I, it's kind of what's expected. Then we got to the springtime, and I started – every single game in the spring. And I remember getting to like the middle of the season and I was like, I never said anything to that senior. I never said a single word to her, but I was just like, "Hmm, an underclassman, like I'm playing, like, look at this. And you told me not to expect anything. So my freshman year, I literally, like I went in with no expectations at all. I had the best season my Mm -hmm. freshman year out of all four of them. My best one was my freshman year. I just, I kind of had like an, I don't care air to myself. Like I was just like, if I play, I play. That's fantastic. If I don't, I mean, that's, that's just part of it. And then sophomore year was a lot like freshman year. I really, I didn't have expectations. Did I want to play? Did I like really think I should play? Yes. I mean, everybody has that kind of like air to themselves too. So sophomore year was kind of the same as my freshman year. I was just going in there, doing my work, what I needed to get done. And I played, I started every game my sophomore year too. And then junior year is when everything went downhill because that's when you officially become an upperclassman is junior year. Mm. And so I'm sitting there like, oh, my gosh, these younger girls, these girls that are two, two and a half years younger than me are coming in like they're going to take my spot. Like I have to be the best. And so um, 
I kind of got back in that same mindset that I got in my senior year of high school is like, I have to work hard and I have to be the best. And so there's no real thing that like happened my junior, like not, there's no event, there's no trauma, there's no nothing like that. It was just like, I was beating myself down and I was getting told by um, the coaches, like, cause my, my batting wasn't very good at all my junior year. And so I was told by them, like, we won't take you out of the game. Your defense is too good to take you out. And then next thing I know, I'm like benched for the next couple of games. And I'm just like, what the heck was that? Like, wh where did that come from? And so it's just kind of like that happens. And so it's just, it kind of wore me down a lot. And I remember the specific moment where I was like, oh my gosh, I need, I need something. I need a little bit of help here was we were warming up for a game like kind of towards the end of our season so I knew that like playoffs were coming up and postseason was coming up and I was so upset it's like no athlete should ever be sad that their season is continuing like that's that's I don't know that's not how athletes should be thinking in my opinion they shouldn't be wanting the end of their season like I went into college wanting to push my soft softball career for as long as possible because I know myself as well. I'm very self-aware that I'm not going to go and play professionally. That's just not going to happen. So it's like, I have those four years and that was it. And for me to be wishing away my games, like mm. that kind of made me hit a wall and we were warming up and our coach would always throw us front toss before games, get us warmed up ready and everything. And I hit three balls. The first two were fine. And then the last one was like, it was a bad hit. I just, I just miss hit it, but it's warm up. So like, it's not, it's not a big deal. I'm not in the game right now. Um, and I had a mental breakdown right in the middle of the batter's box. I started crying, could not control it. And I just sat there. And I mean, <laughs> coaches were like, okay, get out. Like, if you're going to be doing that, get out. And so I like, I got out of the batter's box and I just sat there and I was just like, what is going, like, why, what is going on? What am I doing? And like, Fast forward to me now, looking back on the situation, it was just months and months and months and weeks of me breaking myself down and constantly being like, you're not good enough. You're That's why you're not playing. You're not good enough. And I hit one bad ball and warm up and I was like, that's why you're not playing. That was my thought process. Hmm. And so it was just like self-deprecating the entire time, like my entire junior year. And in that, that is the number one moment where I was like, no athlete should go through this. I remember that I walked off the field. I was crying. I walked off the field, could not tell you what was going on. And I was thinking, I was like, I like finally composed myself. And I sat there, one of our assistant coaches came over and was just like, what, what can I do for you right now? What, what do you need? And I'm like, I don't even know. Like, I just, just sit here for a second. I just sat there and I was like, wow, there should be somebody for this. Like, there's no way I'm the only person, like, there's no way I'm the only person who's gone through something like this. Like, there's no way. And so from that moment on, I was like, I got to do something. I got to, this, this can't be happening. Like, I can't do this to myself anymore. I didn't, I honestly, I did not get better mentally, but I just kind of like pushed through to the end of the season. And I remember I spoke with my mom about it. And I was like, I think I need to see somebody. I think I need to do something. And she was like, okay, set up the appointments, like, let's do this. And I, I never did because I knew exactly what happened in high school. But that's when I really started to like read more into sports psychology. That's when I really started to contact that professor a little bit more and be like, hey, like, what are your thoughts on this? And that's when I like literally looked up the word burnout because that's all that came to mind was mm. that word. I didn't hear it before. I had no idea what it was about, but I was just like, man, I just feel like done. I just feel so done with my sport right now. And so I did my whole entire project on athlete burnout. From there on, I kind of like really dove into sports psychology because I, again, I've said it a hundred times and I'll say it a hundred more. No athlete should go through that regardless of like skill level, regardless of like level of play, what you're playing, what you're doing, even performers like in the ballet or the circus or whatever, people go through like mental lapses it happens but i like they shouldn't they should have or if mm -hmm. they do they should have tools to help it and so that's kind of like been my motivating factor from that moment on that like people more people need to be out there there needs to be more resources out there and i'm gonna get on kind of a soapbox and like a tangent but because we've spoken about it before the how like 
with all of the um, like deaths that have happened in sports in the past couple of years, I can't tell you how many times on Twitter I saw, we need resources, we need resources. Like uh, schools need to be better, but nobody really gave the reason for a how. And I remember thinking to myself, I was just like, yes, this is, inc- this is, this should not happen. Like these people need resources. And it's like, but the how, like, how do we get the resources? Who are the resources? Like they just said, we need it. And nobody gave like a, a plan or steps or directions or anything. So hmm. yes. Yeah. No, I, I love that. And it is like a powerful message to send because uh, you're right. There's a lot that goes on uh, in your young athletes or in your personal uh, mm-hmm. listeners mind that um, can be worked on. It can be mm-hmm. helped. Um, Ashley, I want to kind of point it at you now because mm-hmm. you just heard this story. I saw you react several times, um, kind of give me the lowdown of like the, what you were thinking about when she was saying stuff and like what, uh, what areas you think could, could take a, you could take away from. Yeah. I got a little emotional when Maddie was talking just cause we did have very similar experiences. Like things she was saying related to what I felt during different times in my story, um, specifically where you shouldn't, no athlete should wish their season away. That's a true sign. If like an athlete knows something's like this, this isn't normal. Like you should, sports is a place I should be wanting to be a part of, right? That's burnout one-on-one. Um, so when she said burnout, as soon as you said, it, I'm like, yep, that's it. And one of it was um, one of there's multiple aspects of burnout. One of them being like fit, uh, overtraining and overtraining can be like over exercising or just like not recovering enough. And it, we saw that maybe that was happening a little bit in high school. And then another piece of burnout is you don't look highly upon yourself anymore. Mm-hmm. Like you don't think your performance is good enough or Like, you just say terrible things pretty much about your performance. And I want to talk about the the thing I noticed what Maddie said, the key phrase was her freshman and sophomore year, she kind of went in with, like, a no expectations. Like, I don't really care. I don't care. care. Yes. And there's this, like, false narrative in sport where you have to focus, 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 focus in order to be the best or, like, train, 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 train to be the best And it's quality, not quantity. Quality practice, physical and mental, Mm -hmm. versus constantly focusing or constantly doing something. Because that's when you physically or mentally burn out. And some people have to take the pressure away in order to perform well. For example, I've shared this before. I have an ice skater I worked with who watches Netflix right before she goes on. And some people would say, like, well, she's not – her head's not in the game. No, that's what she's doing to make sure her head is in the game. Because if she takes all that time in between warm-ups and when she performs, which could be a couple of hours because she's waiting for other performers to go on, she's overthinking her performance. Mm -hmm. So my point is, is that if somebody needs to – watch Netflix or go in with like a I don't care mentality. It's not that they're lazy or that they don't care that they're not ready. It's that they're trying to figure out their best mental space to be at their best. Yeah. I remember a Shaq interview where uh, he was talking about how much he cared in practice. He basically said that I didn't care at all in practice. I just goofed around the whole time because I wanted to be ready for the game. Why would I expend all of my energy in practice? But most coaches are going to be sitting there like yelling at you. Mm -hmm. If you're not doing anything in practice, you're goofing off if you're doing whatever, but it worked for Shaq. And like, that's, that's part of it too. You got to know what works for you and be confident Mm -hmm. in that. Like know that that's what you need and communicate that and all that stuff is later, but at least being able to say, Nope, I don't need to do x y and z that my coach says i know that i can do that we did talk a little bit about that that last week but Mm -hmm. um at the beginning though ash of her story or like the the beginning of the end 
of her story. She mentioned um, some stuff about her coach and then some some team issues. And I saw your eyebrows just go way up there. Like <laughs> what? What? Like you know, why would they say that? Do this or what? You know, uh, walk me through what you were thinking there. I think it was when she said that her teammate was like, "Just so you know, freshmen yes. don't start." Or <laughs> I. It goes back to the comparison thing. Like, it really, really bothers me when, not bothers, like, it's normal, but I, it bothers me because I want athletes to have the mental confidence to, like, not compare, right? But they compare themselves to, like, I'm assuming she did that to intimidate because what I think was going on, and I don't know this person, but usually when someone's trying to tear somebody else down, it's because they don't feel like they're good enough. And instead of calling that person a jerk or like, oh, she needs help. It's like, yeah, she does need help. Like I would want, I would want to work with that athlete, that upperclassman and be like, Mm -hmm. how can I help you feel confident enough that you don't need to say that to an underclassman? Right? Like Mm -hmm. how can I help you feel confident that you will play despite your age, despite how long you've been there? Like, if she didn't play, it's because she was not confident in herself and Maddie played because she didn't care and was just going out there and doing her thing. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened, you know, that's what I think. Let's talk about care really quick. So Maddie, retrospectively, what do you think you didn't care about freshman and junior, or sorry, freshman and sophomore that you did junior and senior? Um, The comparison thing was definitely huge. I compared myself to literally every single person that was threatening to take my position. I compared myself to them like with everything. But like freshman and sophomore year, I I went in knowing that I could compete with those girls. I was told by a coach over the summer, he was like, yeah, you you're going to compete at the collegiate level. Like you can do that. And so that was like, you're right. I can do that. And so, like, when I was told, like, you're not going to play, it's like, okay, like, I got this opportunity to play another four years. Like, if I play, I play. If I don't, that's just I wasn't good enough. And so I just went in, like, I know my talents, I know my capacity, and I know what I can do. And so that's, like, my freshman, sophomore year, I just didn't think about the other people who were also playing. Like, I just, I thought about... I thought about what I needed to do in that moment. Like, I need to catch this ball. I need to get a hit. I need to do this. I need to do that. It was always myself and game focused. Like, I cared about the game a lot, and I cared about my own abilities a lot to where I was always I was always staying after to work on trying to get better. Like, I care about my own abilities. And I think where that left and where I started caring more is I started caring about other people's abilities junior and senior year. Like, I it kind of got away from being just about me, and it turned into – well, so-and-so is staying after and she's getting better and she's doing this and that. And it was, it was comparing apples to oranges because I was, I mean, I was a slapper and some other people were power hitters. And from honestly, from a coaching perspective now, like some people are needed in certain situations that others aren't. And so when I would get taken out my junior and senior year, I thought it to be oh my gosh, they think I'm terrible. But at the same time, like from a coaching perspective, no, they didn't think that. They just saw bases loaded with a slapper up to bat and thought that a righty power hitter could probably produce a little bit more in that situation. Like it, it's hindsight is so 2020, but like me in that moment, like as the athlete, I was like, I suck. I'm terrible. They're going to take my spot. I'm done playing for the rest of the year. It's like the snowballing Mm-hmm. catastrophic thinking was it that's what really hurt me the most and then honestly it took me coaching to be like Maddie wake up <laughs> like read the situation <laughs> so it's just I started caring about other people's abilities more than what I could control myself and so like mentally I was trying to control other people when all I can do is like what's what I have you know yeah it's pretty exhausting worrying about yourself and others too right so. yeah <laughs> right so head down well, I was just going to say, like, obviously, we're we're going to talk about the fact that Maddie's a coach and, like, Maddie's, like, a coach coach, right? Like, she coaches collegiately, like, she's done it for years. So we're going to get that perspective in a different episode. But I do want to dive into this piece since we're on the topic. 
you said that you can empathize with like an athlete having their thoughts spiral like oh they didn't play me therefore I'm not going to play for the rest of the season because like Mm -hmm. you experienced that I experienced that but then as a coach you're like no there's a lot more that goes into that like it's not just like oh she's better than her it's like her strength Mm -hmm. will fit better in this situation so Mm -hmm. to give a little bit of advice to coaches out there what is the balance with like explaining why you make certain decisions because you and I have talked about, and I think that was a huge topic in our last episode of coach communication, like communicating why you do the things that you do. Mm-hmm. But I think sometimes when coaches hear that, they're like, every decision? Like, what? So from a coach's perspective, how much should a coach communicate their decisions? And like, what does that look like? I think specifically when it comes to like playing time mm-hmm. and like game time situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, I'm just going to keep on piling on top of communication and also setting kind of a standard very, very early on. Like you can you can say a reason for your decision, but you do not me personally like and I've talked with my head coach about this, too. Like you don't have to get into the nitty gritty of the why you need to say I played her here because she is a big right handed hitter. Bases were loaded. And we thought that was best for the situation, period, done. Like, you don't need to be, because you're a smaller slapper and sometimes you hit the ball and you don't have to get into it. You just say, we saw the situation and we thought this was the best choice for the situation for the success of the team. Everybody has their strengths that are definitely needed at different parts in the game. And so that part, they needed somebody to do this. And then also, I think the other standard that you set for yourself and for your team from the very beginning is like, we are going to win as a team. You can be on board. And if you're not going to be on board, then like doors over there. But we are doing this all as a team. I really, to summarize, it's Mm -hmm. be blunt, but you Mm -hmm. don't have to over explain. And I think it's about... Like, in that moment where it's like, no, we needed to put her in because her strengths match that situation, that Mm -hmm. can kind of be like a comparison thing, but it's Mm -hmm. not. It's when you have that team mindset. Like, Mm -hmm. everybody has their strengths. There's moments where certain strengths fit better. That doesn't mean your strength isn't valuable. It just wasn't for that Mm -hmm. moment, and that's okay. And so it's a very, Mm -hmm. like, strengths-based approach. Like, you're focusing on what people have to offer Mm-hmm. versus, like, you're not good enough Yes. talk. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, like, well, to add to that, I think if if you do explain the why more, there's a greater opportunity for them to be like, oh, I could do that. Like, oh, yeah, I could, mm-hmm. I could do that. Oh, I could, mm-hmm. I could beat them out, you know? So it just fosters that more. Whereas you're like, you're good at this. They're good at this. We need both of you. You're both mm-hmm. important. That's it. You know, yes. like then we're both 100%. happy. Yes. Was there any other thoughts that either one of you had about the story? Maddie, was there anything else you would like to share about your story? I guess like the last kind of taking away point I would say is like if you're an athlete or a coach, like and you see that your athletes or yourself you need some help, there are hundreds of resources out there. Like get on Google, start looking into it, like type in those keywords and there's there's help out there whether it's youtube videos or worksheets that you find like or even talking to somebody if your school or if you don't have it directly available to you there's a lot out there so just go looking for it honestly mastery literally like on their website has a bunch of resources they're fantastic at um helping athletes get what they need it's not it's not something that should be pushed to the wayside anymore like it is a very legitimate thing that's happening to a bunch of athletes and a bunch of teams and everybody so get the resources and start start somewhere like that's that's where my story started i started with a google search and here i am like preaching about it because it's it's so important so do your google searches like there's hundreds of resources out there i love that ashley no i think you hit the nail on the head i mean there is a reason that 
Maddie and I have a passion for this and it's because, Mm -hmm. and I hope you can see from our stories that we really, really needed this. And so Mm -hmm. our hope is that our message gets shared to enough people that they're like, I need this. And it's like not too late. Mm -hmm. And as I said, I think last time too, a lot of consultants get into the field because they didn't have it. We want consultants to get into this field because they had it and they want to just like continue that. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's our goal. Yep. That's a really awesome thing to say. Um, I think next episode is going to be a juicy one as well because it'll be mine and you guys get to break me down uh, basically in, in a, almost like a session like format. So it'll give people a really great understanding and idea on how a session may or may not go um, depending on who you get. So mm-hmm. um, definitely stay tuned for that. Uh, tune in, subscribe, do all the fun things that YouTubers tell you to do. Uh, <laughs> ring the bell and hit those notifications. So um, other than that, though, I think that wraps up episode two. Once again, thank you, Maddie and Ashley, for being here. And uh, we will see you in the next one.